0: cheese empanadas, edible flowers, and getting over a goat trauma. This week, we're in Puerto Rico and Patagonia with Raw Travel's Rob Rose.
1: Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
0: I'm Brent Peterson. This is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast and website for foodies, At destinationeatdrink.com. Glad to have you. Welcome. Pull up a chair. I'll make you a plate. This is the show where we explore the cuisine of the world. And this week, my guest is world traveler, TV producer, and host of the show Raw Travel, Rob Rose. But before we get to Rob, let me ask you to contribute to the Destination Eat Drink cause. We don't have ads on the podcast or on the website, but Still costs money to put this whole thing together. So if you could drop us a small contribution by going to destinationeatdrink.com and click on the contribute button, and the travel karma gods will surely smile upon you. Thanks. Like I said, my guest this week is Rob Rose. Rob's been on the show several times before and He's just a great guest. He's the creator and host of Raw Travel, a TV show whose 10th season is premiering this weekend all over the U.S. If you haven't seen the show, Rob travels the world and shows what it's like to visit, warts and all. And that's what I like about the show. It's honest, it's real, and so is Rob. We talk about the first two episodes of season 10, which are in Old San Juan, Puerto Rico, and northern Patagonia. Now, Rob and I talked before the most recent hurricane struck the island of Puerto Rico, but our conversation is quite timely anyway because we talk about Puerto Rico post-Hurricane Maria. Seems like all the time Puerto Rico is recovering from a hurricane. Um, The last one that dealt a blow to the island did severe damage. So did Maria. It seems like They haven't even recovered from that one yet, and they get nailed with another one and another one. Rob also tells me about agritourism in Puerto Rico, street food in Louisa, and a great artists collective. Then we move on to Patagonia, and Rob tells me about the route of the Seven Lakes, almost running out of gas along the way, and travel as medicine. Plus, we talk empanadas, wine, and beer. All right, this is making me hungry. So let's eat.
1: Destination Eat Drink.
0: Rob Rose, welcome back to Destination Eat Drink. Great to have you back on the podcast. Congratulations on Raw Travel Season Ten. Can't believe it's been ten seasons already. Way to go! Excellent season this year.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, in some ways it feels like season. One just began, and in other ways, it feels like 50 years has gone by. So it's like depends on what day you catch me, but um, yeah, 10 years is what was uh, something I never thought that would happen when I first began. I think I was just you know happy to get you know one year or two years on, and uh, it's been a wild journey. What can I say? But uh, thanks for being a part of it, uh, at least towards the end here as we're uh, winding things down, season 10.
0: I wanted to talk about some of the episodes, some of the places that you went. And I want to start with uh, your episode, Gone to Old San Juan. And uh, this was really interesting to me, Rob, because um, one of the things I like about your show is that sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes you'll go to places that are, and I'm using air quotes here, that are considered tourist hotspots. But you don't go to the tourist hotspots in the tourist hotspots, if that makes sense. And... I think that's the case when you went to Old San Juan. And for me, my case personally, years and years ago, when I was working for a, a company, when I was in corporate America, they took several of us to Puerto Rico. And I was really excited about it until we got there and I found out that we were going to be in a inclusive resort for five days, barely able to leave the property having no contact with the outside world. It was an effort just to get out there and go and see the rainforest and do some other things. So I watched this on uh, old San Juan and it made me happy because I got to see what real Puerto Rico is like.
1: Right. And I I think that's uh, a good point because um, a lot of people, when they're describing the show, will say, well, he goes off the beaten path and I do, but I also go on the beaten path, but off the path of the general tourism population because the reason a place is celebrated is still there, right? So what happens is it becomes a victim of its own um, hype, its own success, word of mouth. Sometimes tourism bureaus are involved and they overmarket a place. But, you know, if you take, for example, like a Machu Picchu, I would never tell anyone not to go there. I would say just be prepared for the crowds and – Make sure that you have another experience outside of that, and I could recommend some other places to go that are less crowded that will give you a more authentic view of of Peru because going to Machu Picchu will not uh, give you an authentic Peruvian experience. And so I'm really more about the culture than the sites. And for me, going to Old San Juan the second time, this was part of uh, actually, believe it or not, a junket, uh, first one after uh, COVID where the discover Puerto Rico folks, the Puerto Rican tourism folks invited me down, uh, through a contact that I had and being, um, you know, two years without travel, I was eager, man. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, they were great to work with, but most of the stuff that they did, that we did, we were able, we went outside of San Juan. And so when I had my downtime and I was uh, filming mostly solo when they weren't around, I would just go explore old San Juan and do some what I call urban exploration. And that's what I love. And, you know, um, again, you know, you can even, you know, be an authentic travel show and work with tourism boards and bureaus. We do it all the time. So long as they know what it is that we're about and the voice of the show is uh, authentic, uh, they actually embrace that because they understand that everybody going to the same places over and over is not a healthy travel and tourism Uh, economy. And so it is really good to diversify. And so in old San Juan, most of the stuff that you see there, I just stumbled upon, Uh, did no research and was just walking around and just came in and introduced myself and said, Hey, do you mind if we shoot? And I find that those can often be the best segments.
0: Well, let's talk about a couple of those places because I was intrigued and enchanted by this place called Poets Passage that you went to. Tell me a little bit about that place.
1: Yeah. So, you know, living in New York uh, and, you know, previous to doing raw travel, I I worked for a Spanish language TV company and then went out on my own uh, as a producer, an executive producer to produce Latino targeted TV. So, you know, I've actually been in the Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York. But one of the most intriguing things about, you know, living in New York and being surrounded by New York culture is the differences that I saw when I was in Puerto Rico. So, uh, and that's the case with all groups, whether it be Brazilian culture in the U.S. versus Brazilian culture in Brazil. It's very different when it comes to the U.S. They keep many elements of their culture, but they, it's, it has a very um, distinct vibe of its own. So in Puerto Rico, uh, Poets Passage, I was like, wow, New Eureka Poets Cafe, which is in New York. It's a famous poet, poetry place that uh, I have been to in my previous life as an independent you know, producer for the Latin show. So I walked in and um, I was like, wow, I just love the vibe of this place. So it had artwork everywhere. Um, You know, they sold souvenirs and shops from locally artists, local artists. And what was really uh, caught my eye was not just the fact that it was called Poets Passage, but the fact that they were really community based and they were focused on, you know, not corporate tourism, but keeping it Local and making sure that it benefits the locals and sharing authentic culture with travelers in an authentic way. And poetry is part of that. But they also had uh, some music from a band called Batura Pique, uh, which was a a, a a slant on plena music, which I was not familiar with. I just knew it had some trumpets and and some drums, so it had a little Brazilian influence there. And so, you know, what you find is that not everything is just you know, like in a bubble here, Puerto Rico is not in a bubble. It is part of the United States, Um, you know, for better or for worse, it's a colony. And basically, um, you know, it has other influences from Latin America as well. And that's what kind of makes Puerto Rico unique and Poet's Passage really celebrates that uniqueness. And it does it in a way that I think is authentic and responsible and really involves the community and um, is authentic travel and authentic culture, not curated just for tourists. So there's a good mix of locals and travelers alike, and the travelers who are there are more likely, less likely to stay in an all-inclusive resort, more likely to be staying at a local boutique hotel or with some friends or maybe at a hostel, something like that.
0: Being adventurous, and you know, you walk by a place called. For me, I walk by a place called Poet's Passage, and I might say poetry i mean yeah it's cool but that might not really be me right but the way you show it it's like it's it's creatives of all kinds you know you talked about the musicians but also artists of every shape and form that you can imagine everyone's welcome at poet's passage and that's what i really liked uh that you portrayed when you showed the segment on your show
1: yeah very open and, and also keep in mind and i think i i have to remind myself of this whether i go to lisbon or uh, Patagonia or, you know, Buenos Aires or, or or San Juan, especially if you're going for the first time, you're getting a very unique insight into their culture post-COVID, if, if that's what you want to call where we are right now, which means that it probably would have been a different experience in 2019. Some ways better, some ways not so good. And uh, I liken it to like when hap- when Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans. I didn't go for I went many years prior to Hurricane Katrina and I didn't go until many years after and was amazed at the change of the city and I was like, wow, it's smaller. Obviously this is tragic, a lot of loss of life, a lot of loss of property. A lot of people left and never came back. But what regrew reminded me of a flower growing out of weeds because it was beautiful. It the the second generation, New Orleans 2.0 or 3.0, whatever you want to call it, was beautiful. And with Puerto Rico, you have Uh, You know, Hurricane Maria popped and then you had COVID. So and it's a tourism based economy because it is, you know, has this uh, complicated relationship with the United States. They import 95 percent of their food, which is insane because it's a Caribbean island. So, you know, they have been just punched, punched and punched, and yet they're still swinging. And I think that's what I really liked about going to Puerto Rico and Old San Juan, and just wanted to support that effort and see what it was like and see how we can help. And I know that when people go, I like to send people to places that could use a conscientious, authentic traveler spending their dollars there um, in a very responsible way. And that's what happens if you go to Old San Juan, you you tour around, you go to the some of the local mom and pops and the poets passages of the worlds. Uh, that's what you'll do.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that, because you said just a moment ago, 95% of the food is imported into Puerto Rico. You talk about that a little bit in the show. Blew my mind. I assumed you're in a tropical island. You're able to grow, you know, you put a seed in the ground and everything grows, but that's not so much the case. That's not what is happening, at least in Puerto Rico, but you showed some of this return to farming practices and how the farm to table movements, which means eat local, you know, local farmers, local food, local restaurants, how that is beginning to start to show itself in Puerto Rico. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So ironically, I grew up on a farm in Tennessee and I'm the most, and I live in New York city now and I can't do anything <laughs> on a farm. I am helpless. <laughs> And uh, the reason is the farm I grew up on was kind of that, you know, grow the cows, sell the cows, that's it. You never saw it on your plate. You never really saw, you saw a part of the food chain, but you didn't see the whole picture. And so similar uh, across the world, what's happened is the industrialization of food is that it's become big business more than a way to feed people. And, you know, I don't want to disparage it too much because less people were starving at least prior to COVID and and the war and things like that, that have happened recently. But, you know, a lot of people that were hungry were no longer as hungry and that's a good thing because of the advancements in, you know, technology and and being able to feed more people uh, which is necessary because we're putting more people on the planet. But ironically the price you pay for that is places like Puerto Rico uh, or Tennessee, like I, I'm helpless. I don't know how to grow my own food. And so agritourism, surprisingly to me, who calls himself a city boy, has always really like uh, fascinated me, whether I be in South Africa or wherever. And so when I hear about somebody doing something really interesting, um, I find that, you know, not only are they doing farm to table and it's healthier for you, it's, it tastes better. Uh, it's creating an economy that is more independent But it's also much better for the climate which is obviously something after this summer we know um, and we have known for a while just some people have been obstinate about it um but we know that that has to be a a priority moving forward puerto rico i got that 95 percent number i was just as surprised as you and i got it from um you know the tour that i did um in frutos uh and basically uh that is outside of san juan and it was covered more in depth in my previous episodes, but there is a web segment. If somebody wants to see it. Uh, but frutos del guacabo, um, you know, has a small plot of land and is growing a lot of food. And he talks about how he's able to do that. And you can go there and you can taste it. And I didn't know you could eat so many flowers. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I'm eating flowers like a goat, and there were goats everywhere, and I milked a goat successfully for the first time because I had tried to milk goats unsuccessfully a couple other times. So I had some goat trauma. I had to get over <laughs> Okay. and I got over it and it was great, man. So it was a healing experience and I just learned so much. And at some point in time, you know, uh, when I can no longer gallivant around the world, I hope I can, you know, do a little bit more in the agri tourism, uh, space and, 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 and grow my own food. I'm trying to be more plant-based and things like that. And, you know, but every time I go, I get a little bit of knowledge there. And they're really making a, a, especially after Hurricane Maria and the lack of support they got, or that what is perceived as a lack of support, uh, some boondoggle money, things like that. They really want to be much more self sustainable and not have to worry about, you know, somebody being able to get food in, whether they survive or not. And I don't blame them.
0: It's a great point because not only, you know, there's the feel good aspect of farm to table, which is, oh, we're helping to support local farms, but also there's a certain amount of self-interest here. You don't know. We've seen it happen in the United States. We've seen it happen worldwide. Supply chains can be cut off. All right. So maybe your Amazon order doesn't get there, but what happens if you're, I don't know. Your wheat order doesn't get there. You know we're dealing with we're dealing with these kinds of questions now. That's a much bigger deal than if your um, if your new iPhone doesn't arrive on time.
1: Absolutely, and I, you know, obviously, living in what is essentially well, it is the wealthiest country in the world. We kind of take food for granted because even our uh, most poor people are not. Um, they're, they're food insecure in different ways, like healthy food insecure, right? And uh, most people are are at least not going to starve in the streets of a major you know, city in the United States. Uh, but you will see that. And I have seen that, distended bellies and things like that in places like Haiti, parts of Africa. Um, and so those are the people that suffer first. And so if we could teach them, um, which is ironic, we got them off of learning to farm and things like that, teach them to get back with the land and You know, there's a lot going on, much bigger, much more intelligent than I can offer in this discussion. But I will tell you that um, it is happening across the world and Puerto Rico, uh, you know, recognizes it. And it's a it's a I think more it's it's not just symbolic, but it is symbolic uh, for them to reclaim kind of their independence. Uh, And, you know, there are antiquated laws that keep them from. Growing certain food and some of that has to change. But, you know, by going through agritourism, I think they're able to skirt some of those issues. So I really recommend if you do go to Puerto Rico, take the short drive out to Frutos del Guacabo and you will uh, eat some delicious food. They have a great chef there who can, uh, I forgot his name, but he's a great guy and uh, just a young guy and he just studied, you know, culinary um, at college, but just experiments on the farm and just put together some really good all natural stuff grown from the farm. And it was absolutely delicious. So it's, it's a sensory tour as they describe it. You're actually smelling stuff, tasting stuff, feeling stuff, eating stuff from the farm while learning about, you know, their, their, their stuff. So uh, again, that's not covered that in depth in this one, it is um, briefly mentioned, Um, But, you know, we wanted to mention it and showcase it so that people knew that just outside of San Juan. And that's what's great about Puerto Rico. You can be based in San Juan, do some urban exploration. It's real easy uh, to get out and and do some of the, you know, more nature stuff, um, which, you know, is just you can spend weeks, weeks doing that in Puerto Rico.
0: Before we leave Puerto Rico, let me just ask you quickly, Rob, about the street food because it looks like that's a big part of uh, what folks are enjoying when they go to Puerto Rico.
1: Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that we did, we hooked up with a food, uh, and this was through uh, the Discover Puerto Rico folks who were, you know, uh, completely, you know, uh, accommodating when it was like the type of segments that we wanted to do and. You know, they wanted to hook us up with a guy um, uh, who uh, he he runs an Instagram. uh, I think it's mostly on Instagram called La Mafia. And uh, what he does is he just goes and tastes, again, local uh, food at the local level. And, um, you know, just writes about it, blogs about it, puts it on Instagram. So he was my guide. And we went to uh, this part of um, just out. It's really almost a suburb of Puerto Rico called Luisa. And um, basically, you know, Louisa is is an Afro-Caribbean enclave that is really was for many, many years separated because it was really a slave where the uh, slaves lived. Uh, I'm sorry, the ex-enslaved folks lived and basically uh, intermarried with the Taino folks. And I, I hope I'm getting the history, you know, correct here. But, you know, um, basically that's how I understood it. And, and, and because of that, they were able to keep many of their cooking techniques and their food techniques um, pretty pure throughout. So they still cook, for example, over a wood fire and you can go there and I'm not going to tell you it's healthy, but I will tell you it's good, (laughs) you know? So just go there and, and just have a really good time. And, and it's not far, it's a, you know, it's by the beach. So a lot of people go there and get some coconut water And basically what you'll find is that, um, you know, the street food there um, in Luisa is just uh, amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. And we have some web segments, again, on our YouTube page uh, about that from La Mafia, from uh, Rafi from La Mafia was uh, our guide there. And he's just great. So, you know, if you get tired of eating healthy at Frutos del Guajabo, or in my case... (laughs) I was like, "Yo, I can't eat any more fried food. I'm having a meat hangover here." I, you know, I'm like, "Let me go to Frutos del Gocabo and get clean." And that's what I did. So, do it. Which you know depends on your perspective. If if you, if you get tired of eating clean, you want to eat a little dirty. Go to Luisa. If uh, if uh, if you get tired of eating uh, dirty, you want to get a little clean. Then go to Frutos del Gocabo.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Let's uh, go a few thousand miles away to Patagonia. This is another place uh-huh. you uh, visited on your. On your uh, newest season. I, Patagonia just seems to me, I, I've, I've always been intrigued by it, but it just seems almost unattainable, so remote. Um, talking to me as a tourist, um, not as a professional, but as a tourist, h- how do you go about getting there? I mean, what are the logistics of going to Patagonia? Is it really difficult?
1: Yeah. So Patagonia really, you could really break it up because a lot of people, when they think Patagonia, they think of the the end of the world and the end of South America. So, right, right. you know, geographically speaking, it's huge um, and it does encompass two countries, Chile, which is that skinny country all the way on the left, <laughs> and then Argentina, which is much bigger. So the vast majority of it is in Argentina, but Chile has really some of the more, uh, well, Chile and Argentina share the southernmost part of it where it goes down and where it really, really gets remote. I haven't been there. We started in Northern Patagonia, which is much more, uh, I would say accessible or easy. And I think that's one reason we started there because it's kind of like Patagonia 101. And so I hope I can go back and do Patagonia 102 and just take the road all the way down south. You need time. That's something we never have we're, uh, have enough of when we're filming. So what we did is we flew into Buenos Aires. Great town, love that city. I uh, love empanadas. I uh, <laughs> haven't been there in a long, long time. Spent some time there and then flew to San Carlos de Baraloche, which is the main uh, town uh, in uh, northern Patagonia. It's called the the Route of the Seven Lakes. And so it is a bit more populated, with a little bit more infrastructure. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it can be extraordinarily remote as well, which we did um, on our road trip as well. We took a boat across a lake. To what felt like an island, it wasn't. It was part of a peninsula, but the boat's the only way to get there. And uh, basically only had electricity um, at night for about four hours. Uh, There was only one little section where you could go and get a little bit of a cell signal and download your emails in an emergency. And I love those type of places, right? And there's sheep grazing everywhere. Um, You know, we stayed in a cabin. So, you know, um, Patagonia encompasses a big area. We were in the northern part of it. And there's a, a route called the route of the seven lakes. And there's seven major lakes there and they're just absolutely gorgeous. And there's little towns all along the way. And, you know, it's hard. It's you're not in like, you know, I mean, you might run out of gas. We almost ran out of gas, but that's because <laughs> we didn't plan properly because there's not a gas station every five miles. There's uh there's nothing. Right. And somebody actually gave us some gas. So, you know, even then we were cool because people are friendly. Right. And, um, and then you go from small town to small town and each, looks almost like a swiss chalet because there's a huge immigrant culture of uh swiss german uh people from uh after world war ii basically immigrated there uh were, you know trying to get away from all that madness and uh, basically they immigrated there and so you'll have that uh mixed in with the indigenous uh elements as well which we tried to show
0: i love that part of the episode where the uh where the local person gave you some gasoline so that you guys could get on your way and not to run out in the middle of nowhere. But the thing that struck me watching this on the screen was just the incredible natural beauty of Patagonia. I mean, it's absolutely stunning, Patagonia. Um, and this is me watching it on a, on a screen. What did you feel like just being immersed inside this unbelievable 360 natural beauty everywhere you look?
1: Well, you know, I think post during COVID, I my, I, I daydreamed about all these trips, and um, you know, Central Asia is on my my list. I just had this like image in my head of going through Kazakhstan and Mongolia and flying a, a falcon, doing some falconry. <laughs> you know, and those images are in my head, but also Patagonia was always there, and I'd been to Argentina so many times. I'd been to, uh, but. It's hard to get the city boy out of the city, man. I have so much fun in Buenos Aires and right. I like beaches as well. So I went to Mar del Plata. And so, um, you know, when I finally was able to get to Patagonia, um, I was ready for it. I needed it. Uh, the war and U- the the Russian invasion of Ukraine had just begun. I had a lot of very good friends, still have a lot of good friends who I was extraordinarily worried about because it had just begun and I knew what could happen thankfully it didn't they were able to get out uh the people I loved the most but at the end of the day um you know it's still going on sadly but I was in a bad I was depressed man I'm not gonna lie and um some people were You know, I don't know I guess I was surprised by how really down I was on the world and myself right, and, and right. just in general I was just really bummed out and when I met Rafa who was my guide he has a uh he was a professor at uh, Pepperdine um, and basically, so Rafa's lived in the U S and Argentina, but he is authentically Argentina. And so, you know, he's living down there with his family. Um, and he was introduced to me as a friend of a friend, someone to, to meet. And, uh, he immediately invited me out to his house, a summer house cause it was summer, uh, was winding down in Argentina. It's another thing. It was cold here and it was warm there. So I was glad to go. Um, And so, you know, he invited me out to his house for a a barbecue and I was just telling him, hey, I'm going to Patagonia. He's like, I'll go with you. And I was like, what? Really? And so, you know, he just wanted to go. And I was like, my solo trip of me, all these plans I had of like trying to figure out where to go and just getting away and being introspective, which is great, but it was not what I needed at this time. I needed a guy like Rafa because when you see the show, you'll see he obviously he's He's bouncy, he's talkative. I don't think he's quiet for more than five minutes at a time. Um, and I was um he was perfect. He was the perfect antidote for what I needed. And
0: maybe the world isn't such an awful place after all. You know, you can find the, you can find these pockets and I, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that you were able to get over your depression that way and
1: um Yeah, I would just call it being blue. I mean I wasn't yeah, like, right, you know, right. side or another, but you know, I was not clinically I was depressed. down on the world yeah. and, and it definitely yeah. And you know, it it' it'll, cause you know, what can I do? You know, worrying and and, and things like that. You do what you can, but when you can't, then why are you going to ruin your life over things? But, you know, it doesn't mean you forget about those people, but you, you are able to put things in perspective a little bit. And Rafa did help.
0: I know that you're uh, mostly vegetarian when you're at home. You, you and I have talked about this before on the podcast, but Argentina's cuisine notoriously meat centric. So, uh, how did you fare there? How did you do with the, uh, how'd you do with the cuisine while you were in Patagonia?
1: Well, the reason I became plant-based was health, uh, because I, I suffer from inflammation, you know, that's genetic throughout my family. And, um, basically one time I just stopped eating meat and kind of coincidentally said, wait a minute. I don't feel the inflammation. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's how I sort of began this plant-based diet. And then the other things, you know, good for animals who I love uh, and good for the environment is are those that are, you know, kind of icing on the cake, if you will. But when I do travel, you're right. I just go ahead and eat the local fare. And one of the reasons that I'm able to do that is I'm like, it's not factory farmed meat, man. I just don't want hormones and antibiotics in my body. I've eaten enough franken-chicken, <laughs> In my lifetime, because that's all I had for a while. So I was like, high protein, it's healthy, it's the other white meat, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, no, it's pork. I'm sorry. Whatever. I don't know. But anyway, I thought it was healthy for me. And I'm like, it was disgusting for me. And I'm like, you know, and I I put the dots together when I lived in Colombia. And when you ordered, you know, a uh, chicken filet or something, a chicken, just a piece of chicken, it would come. You didn't know what size or shape it was going to be. Well, in the U.S., you know exactly what it looks like and tastes like. It's all the same size because they, it grows really fast and it grows really to a certain size and then it's killed and it's just like that's not natural, man. So when I went to Argentina, I was like, no problem eating meat, man. And and Rafa talks about it, you know. It's like all natural whether you're eating lamb, beef, whatever, and they don't put a lot of ingredients when they do the barbecue. It's a lot of just salt. That's it. They salt it, they tenderize it, and they grill it out, and it's some of the best stuff in the world. And so I just threw caution to the wind, ate meat as much as I needed to, cheese. And what's interesting is when I go and I do travel to places like Argentina, Colombia, Europe, just got back from France not long ago, where you know industrial farming isn't part of it, I throw my diet to the wind and I come back feeling 10 times better. Um, and have lost weight, and I'm like, this is crazy, man. It's it's like no. I, I hear I have to eat healthy, and I still feel lethargic and not. Um, it's just, it's it's a struggle all the time, you know, to just keep your weight under control. But when I go somewhere else, I can eat pretty much whatever I want within reason, not desserts and things like that, and and I feel You feel it you just feel it, you know? So that's the way I felt in, uh, in Argentina, man, empanadas. Let's don't forget them, man. I told you I like them. So (laughs) cheese empanadas, lamb empanadas, um, you know, it's locally made, it's local ingredients. And that just, you know, it, it just means everything. It really does. It's to the quality of the food. And the other thing is, you know, I don't really, I remember I produced a show in Laos once and like Laos is actually how it's supposed to be pronounced, but it's like, you know, the, the little country between Vietnam and, uh, Thailand. And, um, you know, we were at a village and the villagers, our host, killed the duck and people just, I got some nasty emails and I was like, dude, I'm sorry. The whole foods down the, down the, down the road was closed. You know, they don't have grocery stores. This is how they eat. And I have a fast and hard rule. I don't tell hungry people what to eat, you know, Right, right. Um, you just can't do it. It's just silly. And it drives me crazy when people do that because they've obviously never been hungry or seen anyone that's actually truly hungry. So, you know, when you're eating a farm animal that grew up on a farm, 99.99% of their life was very happy. And it's just that last few minutes, two seconds before they say goodbye, which we all have to, um, that wasn't necessarily so pleasant and uh happens to all of us you know so at the end of the day i don't feel guilt at all about that and um and like i said it was delicious so um i hope that ends. and don't forget the wine
0: yeah i was going to say argentina is a huge wine producer how how did you enjoy the wine it sounded like it sounds like uh, you had a you had a glass or two
1: yeah well i was looking forward to it man i like going to places where the wine is cheap and um a- and good and uh you get that in argentina you get that in portugal you get that uh in a lot of places it's united states where you just put this huge markup on it and um and you know it just again seems more natural to me um you know um i don't know maybe i'm you know just in a good mood (laughs) so it could just be that always helps (laughs) oh yeah it does man you know hangovers hurt less when you're on vacation i don't even know if i've ever had a hangover on vacation you know so it just is uh it just is that but ironically um you know when it rained one day we had nothing to do in bariloche and bariloche is known for its chocolate and so we went on a chocolate tasting tour in bariloche this was in our first episode in patagonia uh last season this season and then uh, we went on a beer tour there was a french guy making um uh german beer in a british style in south america so you know it sort of Show, that was a story I just had to, I had to cover, you know, cause I'm of like, course. that just tells you the diversity of Argentina. We talk about the United States being so diverse, Well, Argentina is as well. And, um, and the beer was really good and it's only sold there. And I had some really good empanadas with it. So empanadas and beer, they, they actually go together really well.
0: I'll bet. Sounds good. You know, Rob, there's there's other episodes that I'd like to talk to you about. Um, we're out of time for this particular episode. Would you uh, come back and do another episode and talk a little bit more about uh, about season ten of Raw Travel? Because we got to talk about Lisbon, of course. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing I like better than I mean, the only the only thing I like better than talking about travel and food is actually traveling and eating. So I can't do that right now. So I may as well talk about it. So yeah. Yeah, let me know, Matt. be happy to come back. It's uh, always a pleasure.
0: Okay, there you go. I'm telling you, what I like about Rob is that it's not all puppies and rainbows when you talk to him. He tells you exactly what he's thinking, both good and bad. And he's no cynic either. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm just telling the truth. It's all just misery. He is all about giving back, being a good person, but he's not going to hesitate to tell you and show you on national TV when he's struggling. Good conversation. Uh, Rob will definitely be back to talk more about season 10 because he has an episode on Portugal. So of course that's very near and dear to my heart. Plus it's very special and I'll reveal that to you in a couple of weeks. I've got links to Rob's raw travel website and his YouTube channel where he's posted some great videos of stuff that didn't make it into the show. Plus I've got links to Rob's other appearances on the show, All that's in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED203. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we're back in Spain with Eunice Reyes. We'll be in Cordoba. Until then, get over to destinationeatdrink.com. I post new stuff every week. I just posted a complete foodie travel guide to Batalha, Portugal. I'm almost positive you haven't heard of it before, unless you've been to Portugal and spent some time here. You probably don't know about Batalia. It's not a place that comes up on most trip itineraries in Portugal, but it has some incredible history, an amazing Gothic cathedral, one of the most fascinating ones that I've seen in Portugal. I've been inside a lot of churches in Portugal, <laughs> let me tell you, because there's great artwork in churches in Portugal. But it's got this amazing Gothic cathedral, and— some excellent food and wine, too, in Battaglia. Plus, it's a quick jaunt from Lisbon. So if you're vacationing in Lisbon, you can easily do it as a day trip. You can get that whole foodie tour guide to uh, Battaglia at DestinationEatDrink.com slash Battaglia, that's B-A-T-A-L-H-A, or just go to Destination Eat Drink com and click on the Portugal destinations. And if you enjoy the show, would you consider supporting us by tossing a few dollars our way? You can do that at destinationeatdrink.com and click on the contribute button. Thank you so much for that. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another
1: culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.